Park. Good morning. So glad that you're here. My name is Alan. And uh, when I say uh, YMCA, what comes to mind? Everybody, let's do it. Ready, ready, ready. You can sit down for it. Ready? YMCA. All right. Excellent. Nice. Oh, loosen up. Nice job. Perhaps there's some other things that might come to mind. Uh, uh, kids, sports might come to mind. Or rock climbing. Or a very confusing parking lot. Or an annual membership that you only use in the month of January. A number of things might come to mind when you think of YMCA. Do you know what YMCA stands for? Very nicely done. Young Men's Christian Association. They've come a long way in the time that they have existed. They're no longer limited to the young, no longer uh, about uh, limited to the men. It's uh, no longer limited or, or, or just a Christian uh, experience. They certainly still are an association, but they do so many things. There's, uh, um, uh, there's so many ways to have a good time uh, at the YMCA. Uh, you might not know, however... Sorry about that. Uh, you might not know, uh, a little over 100 years ago, YMCA initiated a meeting in the United States, in Massachusetts, that changed the world. And that's what we're going to, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, this morning. Basically, what, what happened as a result of this, I'll get into details later on, but they wanted to challenge the young men who are part of the YMCA and who were believers, who are Christians, to say, you know, this story, this Christianity that is, uh, that is your faith, it's not just about you. It's not limited to your little world and maybe some other person that you might know. But this is a global story. And so the YMCA initially initiated a meeting that had tremendous movement in the United States in terms of having global impact for the cause of Christ. Again, I'll tell you more about that story in a little bit, but where we're going today is we're talking about a, another character issue this whole year. We're looking at different character issues, and the issue we're looking at today is do you have an understanding that God's story is a global story? Do you invite God's story to impact your life? Have you considered God's story to be a global story, has that had any effect on you? That's where we're going, and it's going to be a ride. Okay, would you bow your heads with me as we launch into this? Father, we acknowledge today that you are the designer of the story, and we want to look at it with integrity. And uh, God, would you come and stir up the parts of our hearts and our souls that you want to do something with? Come, interrupt our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, first, let's get started by looking at uh, how God's story is a global story, kind of understanding the concept that God's story is a global story. And I want to back up all the way, back up all the way to kind of where we started with the whole whole shebang deal, reminding you that there are three characters in the story. There is God, who is the creator, who is the designer, the author of life. And then the second character is us. His people. And the whole, whole shebang story is about God having a restored relationship with us. And the relationship was broken because of Adam and Eve and the sin that we have all inherited. We are born with it. And so God wanted to redeem humanity and have a restored relationship with us. The third character in the whole shebang story is the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, the one who is hell-bent on destroying that 
the restoration of the relationship between uh, character one and character two. God chose to restore humanity through the creation of a nation called Israel. And we find Israel's story way back in the Old Testament. I want you to go with me all the way back to Genesis, way back to Genesis chapter 12 for the story of a man named Abraham who is referred to as the father of the nation of Israel. So God wanted to restore humanity through Israel, and Abraham is the father of that nation. And here in the beginning of chapter 12, we see what's sometimes referred to as the Abrahamic covenant, the promise that God makes through Abraham about what his plans are for humanity. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram, whose name was later changed to Abraham, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth. This was God's plan from the very beginning. It is not possible to overstate the significance of these verses in terms of the whole shebang, in terms of God's overall story. I'm going to restore all of humanity through you, Abraham, through the nation of Israel, to all peoples on the earth. That is a, a theme that drives through the whole shebang. If you've been with us, you might be familiar with the, uh, with the sections that we've kind of divided the whole shebang up into. The first tab in your binder, if you have one, is called the Exodus. And the Exodus represents the first half of the Old Testament story. It is the development of the nation of Israel and their rise to being a great, great nation. They they, uh, There's an Exodus out of Egypt, and then they grew, and then they got kings, and they became a, a mighty, mighty nation. In that story, we find Genesis chapter 12. We also find a number of other times where this theme of a global story shines through, even in a very familiar story like David and Goliath. David and Goliath is found in 1 Samuel 17. You don't have to go there. I'm going to, I want to read a verse uh, real quick with you here. But you can if you'd like. I'm not going to stop you. Uh, but this is the story of Israel fighting against the Philistines. And Goliath is taunting the Israelites saying, you are going to send this boy, David, to fight me? And then in 1 Samuel chapter 17, David says, This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. Remember, this is a boy saying this to Goliath. It's awesome. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. The David and Goliath story has David saying, All this is about is happening so that the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. The story, the whole shebang story, then moves into the second section, which we refer to as the exile. It represents the second half of the Old Testament story. And it is centered around this story in Israel's history where God said, if you don't change your ways, if you don't turn back to me, you will be exiled from your land, from Jerusalem, from the promised land. I will kick you out. Please turn from your ways. And they don't. And they are exiled out of Israel, exiled out of Jerusalem. And one of the prophets who is trying to warn the people of God is Isaiah. 
And later on, after the exile happens, Isaiah tries to comfort the people. And he talks about a servant who will one day come and restore Israel. This servant that he is referring to 500 years before Christ is Christ himself. He's refer- this servant is the Messiah. And in Isaiah chapter 49, he says this, It is too small a thing for you, the servant, to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. In other words, the servant Messiah, when you come, it's, n- it's not enough for you to restore Israel. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, which means non-Jews, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. The fact that God's story is a global story is driving through the whole shebang. We then move into the third tab, which is the Messiah. It's the story of Jesus Christ, as found in the four Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament. And in the last few verses of Matthew, Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go and make disciples of all nations. Last words of Jesus in the book of Matthew. Then the fourth tab in in our whole shebang story, which represents the second half of the New Testament, is referred to as the revolution because it is the followers of Christ, his disciples and other leaders, these other young leaders who said, okay, what are we going to do now with this revolution that Jesus started, this revolution of love? What are we going to do with it? And it was their story of how this moved on after Jesus had died and ascended into heaven. Their story is found in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts begins in chapter 1. Jesus coming back to them and saying, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God's story is a global story. It was from the very beginning. It still is a global story. Now we're talking about this, about the fact that God's story is a global story in the context of the fifth section, the fifth tab in your binder, which is entitled The Church. And the church represents the 2,000 years between the story we find in the Bible and the story we find ourselves in. This 2,000-year period, that's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Now, I hope you are as fascinated as I am by the fact that in the year 1800, just 200 years ago, in the year 1800, Christianity was not a world religion. Despite the clarity in God's story that he wants to reach all nations, by the year 1800, Christianity was not a world religion. With very few exceptions, Christianity was for the white people of the world in Europe and in their descendants in the New World and the white people around that. With very few exceptions, those outside of that around the rest of the world even knew about the story of Christ just 200 years ago. The 19th century, the 1800s, are really the century of missionaries because it was in that century that people said, wait a second, we've got to go beyond our area and go reach 
all the peoples of the world. And it's in the 19th century that we, that we learn some incredible stories, like a guy named William Carey, who was an Englishman, who went into India, and his whole motto was, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And he boldly took his family and his pregnant wife and went to India and shared the gospel with them and translated the Bible into their language. And then later on in the 19th century, Dr. David Livingston goes into Central Africa and places that no white person had ever been to, and he, is, he explores more of Africa than anyone has ever done. And he is a missionary along this journey and telling people about Jesus. And then later on in the 19th century, there's a guy named Hudson Taylor who goes into China and, and uh, brings the gospel into China, kind of the first one to kind of break that part of the world and, and go into that. And it was just this, the gospel was becoming global. The story of Christianity, it obviously now is a, is a world religion, but it wasn't just 200 years ago. And this transition from not being a world religion to being a world religion experience was largely moved by this amazing thing that happened at the end of the 19th century. And uh, this is where the YMCA steps in. Because the YMCA in 1886 said, we are going to gather some young people and talk about the fact that God's story is a global story. Uh, the basic idea here is that, is that uh, there needs to be more people who go into more parts of the world. And that oftentimes the, the older people, like really old people in their late 20s and older, uh, older people, okay, stay with me, uh, uh, older people are, uh, you know, the pastors and the, and the ministers and the mature believers and all that, they're kind of embedded in their lifestyles. They're embedded, embedded in their careers, embedded in their families. They're the least likely ones to pack up and go. So who are going to be the more likely ones to go? College students. That's why the YMCA said the Young Men's Christian Association. This is the group of people that we have access to who are going to be the ones who are going to do this. And in the summer of 1886, 251 students from across the country gathered at Mount Hermon in Massachusetts. And there was a, a gathering of these folks to find out what does God want to do with us. And in the first two weeks, it was just about celebrating God and connecting with God, and it wasn't a missionary drive. After two weeks, a speaker came in and talked about the importance of missions. And God was doing something in the hearts of these young people. And 21 of them devoted in that moment that they would be foreign missionaries. God willing, they would be foreign missionaries. As the summer went on, there were a hundred, exactly a hundred of those 251 who said, we will be foreign missionaries. Can you imagine taking 251 college students from across the country and a hundred of them say, I will be a foreign missionary. God was doing something profound in, in this group. It became known as the Mount Hermon 100. Here's an actual picture of them back in 1886. God was doing something there. And the YMCA said, all right, we've got to expand this beyond and see, and see what God wants to do with this. And took some representatives of the Mount Hermon 100 and sent them across the country, funded them to go across the country to 167 other colleges and institutions and invite and challenge other believers to be a part of this movement. 
in one year's time as they traveled, 2,200 young men and women committed to being foreign missionaries. 2,200. This whole movement became known as the Student Volunteer Movement. Prior to 1886, there were less than 1,000 Protestant missionaries from the United States. In just three years, with the student volunteer movement, over 4,000 were sent off as foreign missionaries. In three years. Prior to that, 1,000. In three years, 4,000. God was doing something amazing. The world had not seen the mobilization of missionaries like this ever. In fact, the uh, president of Princeton said that um, there, has, there has not been an offering of men and women like this at any age in any country since Pentecost. Boom! Something amazing was happening. Now, I think it's, it's so cool that this movement is not about a person. So far this year, we've talked about a person. We've, we've given a name and connected that to a particular character. And that's been our journey so far. This is the first time this year where it's been a movement, the student volunteer movement. There wasn't one person who was driving this. We're not talking about a character. We're talking about the collective character of a group of young people who said, I get it. God's story is a global story. And I'm willing to be part of it. Now, that's the basic story kind of background information. What does that mean for us? So how does that connect with, how does that apply for us? Now, what I'm not saying this morning is that everybody needs to be a foreign missionary and that they're the real Christians and the rest of us are just kind of lagging behind. That, that's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is, have you considered the fact that God's story is a global story? That it drives through the whole shebang. God wants to reach all nations. Has that been a part of your thinking? Has it been a part of your decision-making? Has it been a part in any way of how you have parented, how you have worked your finances, how you have made decisions in terms of relationships or who you're going to marry? The fact that God's story is a global story. We have what we call our seven sonawats, and they are, they're our discipleship grid, A through G, and uh, the basic concept with the Sanawats is that if you're saying, yes, I, wa I want to be, be a follower of Christ, so now what? What do I do? And so it's just kind of some language that we have. And letter E of our Sanawats is to extend beyond yourself. That's a powerful one because there is this magnetic pull for us to be all about ourselves. And so it is a major character issue for us to learn how to extend beyond ourselves, how to think beyond our own, beyond our own deal. Uh, my guess is that many of you are familiar with a verse from Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. Very popular Verse, you may go to the Christian bookstore and you can get a beautiful picture that has that up on it and you could be inspired by it with a beautiful frame and, and you could know to be still and know that I am God when the sun is coming down, when you are by the mountains, be still and know that I am God when the water is rushing, when the bird has a light on his wing and when you're by the beach. Uh, you can know to be still when you're on your boat, be still and know that I am God. That's a beautiful verse and it moves me and it's powerful. And then one day you may look at one of these beautiful ornate pictures with the gold frame 
and look up and say Psalm 4610A. And you might think, A? Well, what's the rest of the verse say? And then you might think, I'm interested. And then you might think, that's probably not very good. Because, you know, God has greatest hits. And so I've never seen one of these beautiful pictures that has both A and B. A means the first half of the verse. And so you must think, well, it kind of maybe he ran out of things to say with the second half of Psalm 46.10. And then you may go into Psalm 46.10 and take a look at, is anybody there? Is anybody in Psalm 46.10, the second half of that verse that we never read, anybody want to be bold enough to say it out loud? 46.10b. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So be still and know that I am God. We think that's about me. We think, yes, be still. I need to be still. And when I'm on the ocean, when I'm looking at a bird with a light on the swing, when I'm in my boat, I need to be still and know that I'm in God because then there'll be more blessings, maybe a bigger boat, whatever the scene might be. Be still. Yes, Lord, what's, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? That verse, I will be exalted among all the nations. That verse is about God's overall plan to, for this whole thing to go beyond ourselves. Our filter so often with scripture and with beautiful ornate pictures that we hang up in our home is, how does this affect me? And that's, that's natural. That's natural. And that is needed in our journey. But that's not the whole journey. So often our prayers are limited to that. God, help me, heal me, protect me. God, help me, heal me, protect me. What about God, send me? Use me. What about God? I acknowledge that your story is bigger than mine, and I want to be a part of it. What, what about those prayers? Where do, where do those prayers fit into the journey? The whole thing, driving through the whole thing, is that God wants to make himself known throughout all the nations. The, uh, it is a character issue for those of us who are followers of Christ. It is, a, it is a character issue that we would embrace the reality that God's story is a global story. And again, being a missionary is not just about going, going overseas. I heard one definition of missionary as someone whose life is interrupted by God. Allowing God to interrupt your life. That's the story of a missionary. And it can happen in a number of different ways. These, these 100 at Mount Hermon, they allowed God to interrupt their educational path. God, we invite you to interrupt our journey. Interrupt my life. The 2200 who in the year after that allowed God to interrupt their life. Have you ever had God interrupt your life? Interrupt your story? Interrupt your plans for how you want the next few years to go. We're very excited that in the next month, we're going to add somebody to our staff, and uh, Tim and Laura Goodyear are going to be here, and uh, probably at the end of September. Tim has his master's degree in engineering, and he 
has been working at uh, Ford for most of his life, and he oversaw multiple engineers at Ford, and his life was just cranking, and he, with his kids, moved in a home uh, right uh, near his parents in the same cul-de-sac area where they would do life together and have this beautiful home, and God was setting them up to just enjoy, to be still and know that I am God, and, and, and everything is just uh, beautiful in their journey. And then God tapped him on the shoulder and said, I want you to go to seminary, and I want you to be a minister. And then he had that natural response of, yeah, right. I'm so glad that he allowed God to interrupt his story, to interrupt his life. And now he's gone to seminary, and he is going to continue his journey as a part of our team. His family has had some connections with Mountain Park for a number of years, and so we're just thrilled to have him here. Again, missionary is not about... It's not always about being an overseas missionary, and it's not about being a pastor. In what way are you going to allow God to interrupt your life? Would you be willing to do that in your journey right now? I believe that there's a role for Mountain Park to play in terms of God's global story. There's a role for us to play. And there are a few things that I think God is inviting us into not that he needs. He's God. He is, he is in control. But I think he is inviting us in three ways into his global story. First of all, there are people who need to go. There are people who need to be sent away from this area and go to the other nations around the world. And I just want to warn you that Beth in student ministries and Dave in young adult ministries and I will be... Uh, continuing to put this forward with our young folks. It can be folks of any age, but, but typically it's going to be younger folks who are going to say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to respond to that. Hopefully this is a, is a dangerous enough place where that call can happen in the midst of this community. If that's you, if you feel nudged in by that, either today or in the next year or whatever, let us know. We would love to help you find out what God is doing in your heart and in your soul and connect you with whatever might be needed. The second thing that uh, is going to be called of from Mountain Park that flows out of number one is parents who will let their kids go. Do you know what the number one resistance for these uh, folks in the late 19th century as they went around the country and talked to college students about going off to be missionaries? Do you know what the number one resistance for them, the number one thing that these, that these encouragers and recruiters had to struggle with as they were going on? Christian parents. Christian parents who said, well, sweetie, that sounds nice. Why don't you let somebody else do that? Because I want you here. Number one, back then, and it still is a major issue today. A little ways back, uh, at the end of last year, we introduced to you uh, some missionaries that we are so excited that are part of our church that we have teamed up with. John and Andrea Hofer are um, missionary aviators who are in the last stages of their training so that they can go out and and fly a little airplane into tribal areas where they do not have the gospel. And they're going to do some radical things. And we're going to team up with them and, and, and do stories with them and support them through uh, prayer and financially and see what, in what way God is going to allow us to connect with the amazing story that he's doing through them. 
And then a few months back, Lori talked about another couple, Ben and Melissa Hofer, who's, uh, they've been begging their job to send them to India so that they, through their job, could get into India and be uh, missionaries telling people in their area about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you in your D groups have invited them to come and share their story. It's awesome. It's really incredible. Now, did you notice anything similar about those two stories? John and Andrea Hofer, Ben and Melissa Hofer. If you listen closely, did you, could you hear anything similar in those two stories? Let me just tell you, it has not been an easy journey for mom and dad Hofer to watch their two boys respond to God's invitation to be a part of his global story, to take their beautiful daughters-in-law and their grandkids. Don't think for a second that it hasn't been difficult for them to embrace the reality that, that God's story is a global story that it hasn't been hard for them to extend beyond themselves in efforts to support their kids who said, I feel called to mission work. And part of it is that it's their fault because they raised some pretty awesome kids who have responded to God's call in their lives. And now they're reaping the... I mean, this has been a tough journey for this loving family. And God's doing amazing things in their family. So parents whether you have a 40-year-old or a 4-year-old, how would you respond if your kid came up and said, I feel called to mission work? Would you be a roadblock to that? When I say parents, I'm talking about myself. I've got three kids as well. How would we respond? If our kids are courageous enough to consider this, to enter into God's global story, may we be courageous enough to let them. And the third thing that God, of course, is going to be uh, calling Mountain Park to participate in is mature believers who can fund what God's doing through our church. That not everyone is going to go out and do these things, but each and every one of us at any age can participate in significant ways by supporting those that God is calling. So I want to Uh, finish up here this morning and give you an opportunity to respond to God. And there are a number of different ways that you can do that. To respond to the reality that his story is a global story. To respond to the invitation to extend beyond yourself in whatever way that might look like. To respond to this idea of, of inviting God to interrupt your life in some way. If you're new with us, uh, there's a number of different ways here in the room. You can come up to the, to the cross, as others have done, and take this red card and, and uh, fill it out and then na- literally nail it on the cross as a symbol of saying, I brought this into the room. I'm going to leave it here. I am going to let it go, whatever it is. Right here in front is unassisted prayer. No one is going to bother you. This is a time for you to connect with God here in this place. To your right is uh, candles, where you can come and you can um, light a candle as a symbol of bringing the light of Christ into some area of your life or in the life of someone you care about. To the right of that, there will be persons who would uh, be honored to anoint you with oil for healing, as we find in James chapter 5. At either corner, there will be assisted prayer where folks on our prayer team would love to pray with you. In the center, there is communion in the back. You can go up and be served or come together as a family. There is uh, a box in the back for offering if you didn't get a chance to do that or if you'd like that to be a part of 
uh, your worship here at the end. Or once again, you can stay where you are and worship and respond to God however you'd like. I do ask that you would stay in the room for our time together. I know some of you are not really connecting with what we're doing here uh, in the, the last part of our uh, celebrations. And, uh, but I do ask that you would stay in the room and, and not go get your kids early out of respect for those around you and those who are loving on your kids right now. And more importantly than that, I don't want you to miss out on an opportunity to connect with God. May we, at least in this moment, uh, allow God to interrupt these 15 minutes. Who knows what God may have to say to you, may have to stir up in your heart. Let's let him do that. Would you pray with me? Father, we acknowledge today that your story is a global story. It's big, God. Our, our stories, our lives, our difficulties, the things that we brought into this room, they're big. They're big. But your story is so much bigger. May we in these next few moments extend beyond ourselves and see what you, and see the world the way you see it, God. In what way do you want us to, to respond? Maybe there's uh, someone in this room who feels they need to go on a short-term mission trip. They've never done that before. They need to fund somebody who's, who's doing that. God, have your way here in this room. Come, interrupt our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please, and we will take a moment to respond to God.